Hey folks, this is Laura Mae Lindo, and today I'm chatting with Dinah Murdoch. In my humble opinion, she is one of those people in our community who leads from a place of love. So let the games begin. Hello, this is Laura Mae Lindo, and I am coming to you from land that has been held down, cared for, loved, and stewarded by the Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabe, and the neutral people. And the reason that I am chatting with you today is because I've been thinking a lot uh, about um, the ways in which Indigenous communities lead from a place of love and care and compassion. Um, They do that for themselves as a community that's faced a number of barriers uh, in this world, but they also do that for a lot of us outside of uh, those communities, trying to teach us with their actions about the importance of centering um, love in all that they do. And so uh, what I wanted to do was to chat a little bit with some people that I know uh, who, in my opinion, are leaders, but a special kind of leader, a leader who is leading with love. Uh, So today I'm very excited to tell you that I am here with Adina Murdoch. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm so good. I'm so good. So I think in in the world around us, a lot of people have heard me chatting about this notion of leading with love, leading from a place of love. And you, Dinah, are one of the people that I think leads in this community from a place of love. Um, Yeah, you are. (laughs) That's so wonderful. That is like maybe one of the greatest compliments I think I can ever get. Oh, that is so nice. Um, So one of the things that I wanted to do was to sort of dig a little bit deeper about that concept of leading with love. So why don't we start off with just a little chit chat about what it means to you. When I say leading with love, what does that look like for you? What does that mean? Um, I think it means being heart centered mm-hmm. and, um, you know, rooted in empathy. Yeah. Um, and just always coming from a place of, you know, wearing another person's shoes or, you know, finding yourself in position that you could easily be in if it weren't for the circumstances in which you currently find yourself. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's really all about, all about that, that we are all, we could all be in a myriad of circumstances at any time. And that if we just, you know, approach each other with a place coming from a place of love and with, um, empathy and kindness, we just all would all get much further, I think. I totally agree. Um, And what I find fascinating is in the last little bit, uh, a lot of people have asked me about my leadership style. And I'll often say, well, I lead from this place of love. Like those are words that people hear coming out of my mouth quite Mm -hmm. often. One of the things that I think happens, though, is that sometimes when I say that, it's like it's understood in theory, Mm -hmm. right? I'm I'm really curious about how the people that I admire who are doing awesome work like yourself in community, um, what are some concrete examples of what that looks like? And sometimes we, you know, we'll, we'll do bios and we'll talk to people about, oh, we've done this and we've done that and we've done that. But mm-hmm. we don't necessarily say those things and then talk to people about how that is loving leadership. Right. So can you talk to me a little bit about like what's a concrete example 
of what leading with love looks like for you or has felt like for you? That's a good question. I think a lot of it for me has to do with suspending judgment, Mm. which um, I'm an educator um, and a teacher and I work with children. And I think in my younger days of my career, um, I was very quick to judge mm-hmm. um, when I couldn't understand why why lunches weren't coming or why things were disorganized at home mm-hmm. or why, um, you know, the family just couldn't get it together and get this kid to school on time every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had children of my own. <laughs> <laughs> And I got, I really got it after that. (laughs) But also, like, I just think I began to understand that, you know, we all find ourselves, you know, in different circumstances and um, we're all doing the best we can with what we've got for the most part. So I really try and think about that, um, about that idea of, of, you know, doing the best we can. And I think it's Brenny Brown who talks about, I'm going to think what she said. She talked about this idea that if we all just made the assumption of people that they were doing the best that they could, mm-hmm. it's such a massive mind shift, right? And yeah. if you if you think about that, there's so many times in a day where you want to judge people and you want to be annoyed with people or irritated with people or blame them for something. But I think if we just pause for a moment and say to ourselves, what if they were doing the best that they could? could possibly be doing right now in the circumstances mm-hmm. that they're in with what they've got. And it's this mind shift towards like, oh, it just gives a whole new perspective. Well, and part of that too makes me think when you shift to that space where you give people the benefit of the doubt, you're also um, validating barriers that mm-hmm. might be stopping them from doing the things that the system around expects of them, right? So yes. instead, when I judge somebody right off the bat, then my assumption is they should be able to overcome whatever it is. But when I start from that place, that loving place of, um, look, they're doing the best. And if they, for instance, the the kids are coming to school late or they don't have uh, a fully packed lunch, mm-hmm. right? Then you start to question, well, well, what could be happening? And then how can I address those barriers? Does that make sense? Totally. Yes. Yeah? yeah, it does for sure. When I think about... Um, when I was making this list of people to talk to about this and I was thinking about you, I was thinking about the diverse libraries. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that in particular because those barriers, we often talk about barriers, representation in yes. education, et cetera. Yeah. Um, the fact that a lot of people can't afford books, um, books are expensive and it's mm-hmm. not easy for you to find uh, books that represent diverse communities. And oftentimes those books are even more expensive than other books. Mm-hmm. So when you started to do this program of making these books available and picking communities for these books to be available in and letting everybody else be part of that solution, to me, that was a prime example of loving leadership. Yeah, it's been such a joy. And like, it's just been a joyful project. And I think, yeah, it's all rooted in love and joy. And it it is, I mean, there's so many wonderful aspects of it. Like, for children to feel valued, they need to see themselves in books. Mm-hmm. So this is an opportunity for children to have access to, to literature and books that, in which they can see themselves. Yeah. Um, and it's an opportunity for adults to see themselves in books too. 
Mm-hmm. And it's an op- opportunity for adults and children to learn something new about a culture that they did not know much about, maybe, yeah. and develop empathy. Yeah. Um, and then lead from a place of more love and kindness. If, if they have learned something new and they have a new view that perhaps they didn't have before. So yeah, the whole project is really rooted in love and the community has embraced it in the most wonderful way as well. I have folks that will scour, you know, used bookstores for books by racialized authors and then email me and tell me they've got like three bags of books to drop on my porch. Oh, wow. Publishing companies have really stepped up with donations, um, neighbors, friends. Um, I'm just always coming home to books on my porch or mm-hmm. messages in my um, inbox or on my phone to tell me that, you know, they've got books for me. So um, it's been embraced in a really beautiful way. So that reminds me that there is lots of love and kindness out there in the community. Sometimes when you're on social media, you, don't you feel see like it. <laughs> You're you on. feel like there's more, there's a need for more love in the world. Yeah, especially oh, Twitter. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, at Bath, that is Twitter. But um, yeah, no, people are people are wonderful and have embraced it in a wonderful way. So that's great. It's funny. I was um, dropping one of my kids off at school, and I saw um, I think it was two or three kids at one of the li- the little libraries, like oh. looking through just on their own, right? Amazing. And I thought to myself, that's like that's an example of building that that leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when people start to take it upon themselves to to solve these big problems, um, like representation mm-hmm. and um, like access to, to books, mm-hmm. which we assume everybody has access to, but they just don't. No. Um, when we when we take it upon ourselves and we create solutions that invite other people to be part of it, mm-hmm. um, you start to see, like there's hope. Yes. There's hope that there's some real change that's possible, right? Yeah. Um, so if if you were to wake up, let's say when you think about the problem, well, let's actually go backwards. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. When you were thinking about that project, what was the problem that you were trying to address? Um, that's a good question. I think anti-racism for me was at the forefront of my mind mm-hmm. because it was shortly after the murder of George Floyd. And I had seen that a woman named Sarah Kamia in the U.S. had started this movement of just going to little libraries that she came across and putting in books by Black authors, um, whether they were for adults or for kids. And I thought, I could do that in my community. That's easy. (laughs) Like, all you do is get some books and then go to these little libraries and put them in. And so I thought that seemed very doable. So for me, it was really rooted in what can I as a white person and a settler on this land do to start making a difference instead of wringing my hands and feeling guilty and ashamed Mm -hmm. and actually take some action. So I just started. I just got started. Um. Which I think is what so many of us need to just do. Yeah. Um, we can't, you know, um, you and I were both at the same amazing Julie Black yes. concert recently at the museum. And she gave a really beautiful speech about how silence is violence. And mm-hmm. we cannot, and she talked to the white folks in the room and just said, we cannot wait around for you to figure out how to do it right. 
Mm-hmm. You just have to start. We need your help. We need your support. Um, and I love how Slam Debs talks about divesting from perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And I've had those conversations with people in my workplace as well, where it's like, we can't wait for you to feel like you're not going to make mistakes. You just have to step up and help. And I've made mistakes in the process. Yeah. Um, but you own them. You apologize for the harm they've caused. And you keep going. And so for me, um, now I feel like I'm on a bit of a tangent. And I can't remember I like a good the, tangent. What the question was to begin with. But I think you asked me, you know, where, where did this, what was the motivation? So for me, it was really about just getting going and, and yeah. trying to make a difference in my community instead of feeling sad and sorry about the state of affairs. Well, I actually think that um, one of the things that you've touched on that's so very important, especially when it comes to doing anti-racism work, um, we often think that we have to come up with this huge, massive system change solution mm-hmm. in order to be able to do the work. But at the end of the day, it's step by step, yeah. um, bit by bit, and doing it together. So it's a collective effort to, to make that change. Mm-hmm. We start to build the communities that we want. We, we demonstrate with our actions mm-hmm. um, how to do anti-racism work. And in my opinion, anti-racism work is the most loving work that you can do mm-hmm. because you are decentering yourself and the privileges that you have. I, I think about um, my own privileges. Yes, I am a black woman and there are assumptions that that means that I lack in, in privilege. But the reality is I'm educated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I've sort of gotten in with communities that are more marginalized than other communities, which allows me to have a better sense of the problems that people are facing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I decenter myself and start to put other people uh, first and allow them to lead, to me, that's like, that is the best example of leading with love. And so what I want to do is just say thank you, first off, for the amazing work that you're doing in community. Um, I have one more question for you. Okay, I'm ready. When we, <laughs> <laughs> when we think about um, the, so I started off with, with asking you about the um, diverse libraries and all of that stuff. Um, how has that changed your work in the schools? So you've been doing that outside of the school system, mm-hmm. but you started off and you said, like, you're a teacher, you're an educator, you're mm-hmm. in the schools, you're working with kids. How has the work that you've been doing outside impacted the way that you're navigating as an educator inside that system? Oh, I love that question. Um, you know, I think that it has, um, I have a new lens now. Yeah. And so I see things with different eyes and, um, and I think it has made me much more aware of inequities. It's made me much more aware of what posters are on the wall, what books are in the library, mm-hmm. what stickers are on my laptop, what um, chatter is happening in the staff room that yeah. I'm overhearing. All of those little things. What am I hearing on the announcements in the morning? Um, what are the conversations that are taking place in the classroom? So mm-hmm. for me... Um, it's really changed everything and that I have this new lens that I, I view things with. And it is not a perfect lens. I have much to learn myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think for me, yeah, that's, it's just everything is viewed a little differently now. 
Well, Dinah, thank you so much for spending some time with me to have this discussion. Um, talking about leading with love is so very important to me. Um, and at the end of the day, that's why we do the work that we do. It's about real talk mm -hmm. and the real walk. <laughs> and so this is Laura May Lindo again with Dinah Murdoch. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for leading with love. Thank you for allowing me to be here in your presence. And you model that leading with love in the most incredible way. It just, you exude it. And we're so grateful for you in our community. Aw, shucks. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. This episode of Midtown Conversations was produced by Matt Rampolt, Allison Dijak, and myself, Fee Dawn. You can find Dinah Murdoch at her website, kwlilfreediversedlibraries.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at kwlilfreediversedlibraries. And I am coming at you from... No, we're not going to do it that way. You know what was funny? In my head, I was thinking of... Cincinnati. It's so good. I need that. Okay. I'm going to breathe. More episodes of Midtown Conversations with Laura May Lindo are coming soon. This has been a Midtown Radio production.